is he? Hey, how's it going? You're crazy! What is he? You're crazy, huh? <laughs> Where does he come from? <clears throat> you kill us all! You kill us all! Keep away! No! Keep away from me! Look out! Watch out! Run! It's Stark Gardner! Hi, my name is Scott Gardner, and I've got a few things to say about Superman. Welcome back, or if you're joining me for the first time, welcome. I appreciate you downloading the show, and I hope you like what you're going to hear. Right off the bat, I have to say that uh, I'm going to try to come up with a different opener for the show. I really like the one that I use at the beginning, and you know I haven't had any complaints or anything, but it was originally intended for a different show, a show that never really materialized so it's kind of a placeholder i guess you would say for the time being as soon as i get time i'm going to come up with something a little more superman so listen out for that um i first off i really want to say thank you so much for all the feedback i've been getting you know times being what they are (laughs) most of the feedback i've been getting has been through text messages or facebook or even conversations, you know, real conversations with real people via Skype, things like that. However, I did get a small bit of real uh, email. So I wanted to read a couple of these real quick. Uh, first one up is uh, says, Back to the Bins presents episode one. It says, Howdy, Scott. Just listened to the first episode of your Superman-centric Back to the Bins presents, and it was very good. While I enjoy all of the Two True Freak shows... Uh, it's nice to have a laid-back, low-key show for you to jabber on about your favorite character. I honestly didn't know Superman was your favorite, so I'm looking forward to hearing you talk about him. I do have one quest, uh, one question to pose for you. During the origin story you're recapping, did Jor-El and Lara not take uh, their... Okay, now this says intent. I'm pretty sure he meant to say infant. Infant son into account. By her staying behind, the child was forced to become an orphan. This conscious choice on the parents' part struck me as odd. And this is from Jesse Garrett. Well, thank you for writing in, Jesse. I really appreciate it. And thank you for the kind words. Um, I guess that's one of those things that, that could stand out and, and kind of bother people. See, you know, I grew up in that era where that was just the origin story. And as a kid, I guess I never really stopped to think about it. It was really only later um, that I would stop to think about that part of the story because it happens so fast in in the origin story it's just one of those things i I never really stopped to ponder much um i don't know i mean i buy it if if that's where you're going with that i I don't think it was uh, a a decision on their part where they didn't love the child enough or you know something like that i think i always approached it the other way that they loved each other so much you know that lara loved jor-el so much that she just couldn't face life without him you know that she couldn't she couldn't leave him behind to that fate so she chose to stay with him and i think originally See, this is the funny part is originally I always took it as they just kind of cast their child off to whatever fate awaited him. That that whatever happened to him was probably going to be less horrible than staying behind to certain doom on Krypton. Well, there's more to the story than that. You know, and of course this has been this is because the story was expanded on and things like that. And the story that we're gonna look at today, the chapter we're going to look at, this is sort of addressed. We see that Jorel kind of sort of has a plan we we see a plan forming so it wasn't just a simple matter of you know putting the child in the lifeboat and just sending him out and hoping he survives jor-el really did have a plan also i alluded in one of the past episodes to um elia s megan's book last son of krypton now in that book the whole reason why the rocket went specifically to to uh smallville was because at the time Albert Einstein was visiting Smallville. Of course, bear with me, folks. It's been a long, long time since I've read that book, so I may have some details wrong. If I do, please, someone write in and and set me straight on all this. But this is, according to what I remember of the book, that Einstein was actually in Smallville at the time. And so Jor-El had come up with this, I don't know, robot or something 
that basically sought out the smartest mind on the planet, and that's who he was sending Kal-El to, and the fact that he wound up with the Kents was just, you know, take your pick, either dumb luck or happy happenstance or whatever, but that's not who he was intending to, to send them to. Now, with the story we'll be looking at today, we'll, we'll see whether that really meshes up or not. I don't think it does. But one one way or the other, I like the idea that Jor-El had a plan. That he, you know, the child just wasn't being just you know, let's just get him off the planet and what whatever happens happens. I don't. I think there was more thought put into it than that. Uh, let's see. Next up, we have one from uh, our old friend of the show. Jose A. Rivera, and he actually gives his middle name this time around, Jose Antonio Rivera. He's a much braver man than I. I do not use my middle name. It's uh, it's atrocious, and I do not use it. Anyway, he just says simply, the Superman episode. Hey, Scott. Wanted to write in response to your episode on Superman. First, allow me to say I'm all for something like this. It's great to see Back to the Bins means so much to you that you want to keep it alive. Yes, I do. It does mean a great deal to me. And now for the reason I'm writing. Superman. When I think of the word superhero, the first image in my head is of Superman. To me, he is the definitive hero. And just as uh, you did with us, I'd like to share with you what the character has meant to me growing up. As a kid, I think Superman was the first superhero I was exposed to thanks to the Super Friends Galactic Guardians, also known as Superpowers, the TV show, uh, cartoon, and action figures. My aunt had the Superman from the uh, 30s to the 70s hardcover, which I loved, and uh, gave me a Superman 3 poster uh, when I was very little. Of course, the movies ran on TV, and I used to watch the Superboy series every Saturday. When you're a little boy, you look at Superman as this great hero you want to be like. You want to be super strong and you want to fly. You put a red towel around your neck. You put on that t-shirt with the S-shield and talk in a deep voice as you put your hands on your hips. We all do it. Growing up as a teenager, I had nerdish tendencies. I had glasses and used to slick uh, my black hair back. Let's face it, uh, I didn't have much self-esteem back then and would often retreat into comics when things got low. I would sometimes identify with Clark Kent because I, uh, because I wanted to write and often people uh, wouldn't take a second look at me. And yes, when I would wear a button-down shirt, I, I'd occasionally wear my Superman t-shirt underneath to go into the bathroom, pull off my glasses, and do the shirt rip in front of the mirror. We all do it. Now that I'm an adult, I see Superman in a different light. I see him as the ultimate example of a nice guy finishing first. As Clark uh, as Clark, uh, oh, okay, as Clark, he goes to work, I'm sorry, I was trying to understand the syntax here, as Clark, he goes to work, has many friends, and is in a relationship, and is often, uh, commended for the work he puts in, as Superman, he helps out anyone in need, while he can't save everyone, he tries to save as many as he can, I believe it was an episode of Lois and Clark where Dean Cain says, Superman is what I can do, but Clark is who I am. And that stuck with me for years because he knew the difference between the two. He was self-assured, and although life was tough, he got through it. Often I'd imagine what it would be like to be a good man with the level of success, uh, but kept a level head. We all do it. Superman will always be my favorite superhero because no matter what stage um, I'm at in my life, he always has something new to show me, and while he may not be as popular with people as he once was, I know everything is cyclical. There will be a time when the public will get tired of the dark and brooding, and when that time comes, all they'll have to do is look up in the sky because waiting there for everyone is a superhero soaring in the clouds with a flowing cape ready to do uh, what's needed and inspire people. Until that day comes, I'll be content to sit down and read my comics, wear my shirts, watch my movies slash TV, and hear the John Williams theme in my head, often imagining uh, what it would be like to put on the costume and fly. Hey, we all do it. Sincerely, Jose Antonio Rivera. And I'm stunned by this email because it is, I, I'm serious, I think this is one of the best emails I've ever read in my life. Because, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, 
you know, it, it would be so easy to, to look at this and go, wow, you know, you've made a lot of assumptions here. But you know what? All of your assumptions, at least for me, they're absolutely and completely true. I did the same things. Everything you're saying here that ends with, we all do it. You know, you're right. Right down to the thing with, uh, you know, wearing a Superman shirt underneath your regular shirt. I know I did that at least once in my life, you know, where it, it just gives you this sense of empowerment, this sense of I have a secret, you know. I think that was one of the successes of Superman was the the fact of while I was never really crazy about the the nerdy geeky you know wimpy Clark Kent I can't deny that that was a, a very powerful thing for me as a kid you know especially a kid who was kind of picked on and and not popular at school and things like that that feeling of you know, if they only knew that deep down, you know, I was the most powerful, you know, whatever, you know, that sort of thing. I think that's a really powerful identifier for kids, you know, especially kids that, you know, had that, that problem, you know, that, that weren't popular or whatever. And, uh, yeah, so I, I did that. I definitely did the, you know, putting a towel around my, my neck, you know, all the kids I played with when we were kids, we'd play superheroes and everybody would run in the house and, you know, somebody would grab a blue towel and somebody would grab a yellow towel and somebody would grab a red towel and you'd be Batman, Robin, Superman and, you know, whoever else you, you needed a towel to be. Yeah, definitely did stuff like that. Um, I even had the book that you were talking about, uh, Superman from the 30s to the 70s. I still have that here somewhere and I really need to dig that back out. I haven't read that in years. And I love that book. I even had a Superman 3 poster for that matter. <laughs> the one where uh, it's Superman and Richard Pryor flying over, I think they're flying over the Grand Canyon in that, if I remember. So yeah, a lot of what you said really, really struck with me. But the biggest thing is, as you say, is that Superman as an example... Uh, yeah, most definitely. I remember uh, a college class I took um, just recent, you know, fairly recently, a couple of years ago. Um, a question came up in the class of who did you want to be when you grew up, and other people were were giving out I don't know Elvis Presley or you know these other real life people you know Dale Earnhardt whoever. And it got to me and, and everybody, you know, by that time, a lot of people in the class kind of knew me and they were like, all right, lay it on us. You know, I'm sure they were expecting me to say, I don't know, you know, Luke Skywalker or something. And it was a no brainer. Of course, it was Superman, but not because the reasons people might think, you know, especially non geeks, you know, you say Superman and immediately they're thinking, well, yeah, you know, it'd be awesome to be able to lift up cars and fly out into space and stuff. But that's not it at all. It was that. I liked what he stood for. I liked that he is just, he's a good person deep down that wants to do the right thing and help people. That That's basically it. You know, Superman do, would do or uh, try to do what he does, even if he didn't have superpowers, as we're going to see in the story that we're going to be looking at today. That's what I like about Superman. It, it Really, the superpowers are secondary to who the character really is. And it would be nice to be able to think that, you know, you could grow up and, and, and be like that. You know, the fact that this guy... All right, throw the superpowers in for a minute. You know, the guy's got x-ray vision. Now, we all know what we would do if we had x-ray vision. But Superman doesn't do that. You know, Superman doesn't go around looking into the girl's locker room. I would do it, but Superman doesn't do it. Because, well, he's better than that. I like that sort of thing. It, it gives you something to aspire to as a person, as a man... You know, it, it gives you a certain high watermark of morality. And I like that. And that's something that I think is sadly missing both in comics and just in society in general these days. You know, the, the heroes that kids have today, I think it's very telling of who kids are today, that they don't have these positive identifiers. But that's a that's a subject and a rant for a whole nother day. <laughs> That, that could be a whole nother episode. So I'm going to move along before I start sounding like, uh, you know, you kids get off my lawn, which uh, Michael Bailey just loves to give me crap for. All right, we're going to go along. Ah, here, here's a subject. I ended up getting flooded 
with responses on this, which I appreciate every single one. The only reason I'm, I'm singling this one out is because I got this in an actual email, but I literally did get dozens and dozens of responses to a question I posed last episode. I appreciate every single one of you. I literally did not know the answer to this, so thank you so much. This one is simply entitled G Numbering System, and it's from Michael Bradley. He says, hey, Scott. Just a quick note to answer your, uh, the question you posed concerning G-numbering in episode 2 of Back to the Bins Presents, I've got a few things to say about Superman. In 1964, DC launched a new monthly title called 80-Page Giant. Yeah, I actually have a few of those. Uh, each issue focused on a different character, though a good number of them were Superman-related and was comprised mostly of reprinted material. After 15 issues, the title was done away with in favor of incorporating 80-page specials within their own ongoing titles, usually one per month. They were all numbered with the G numbering system, picking up where 80-page giant numbering left off with G16, but also had the book's regular issue number as well because they were part of those uh, series. This practice continued uh, into the uh, excuse me, until the early 70s, actually in 1969 or so, the page counts were reduced to 64 because of rising production costs, but it was the same premise. Hope that helps. I'm enjoying the show so far. Your retelling of Superman's origin in the first episode was excellent. Well, thank you. Appreciate that. You have a clear love for the character, and I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on more of Superman's greatest tales from throughout the years. There are a lot of us out there with Superman podcasts, but there's always room for more Superman. Keep up the great work, Michael Bradley, and he is the host of The Thrilling Adventures of Superman. Thank you very much. It means a lot to me to hear positive things from other Superman podcasters and other Superman fans, so thank you very much. I, pre I appreciate that greatly. And let's see, we have one more for this time. This one is from our old buddy, Stan Johnston. I love the uh, the title of this email. It says, so Hawkman says, don't worry, my nth metal will cure anything. And I thought that this, I, I, when I first read that, I thought, I wonder if he emailed the wrong email. I thought this would have something to do with uh, Tales of the JSA. But no, it doesn't. He says, uh, Scott, just a brief note to say I'm really enjoying the Superman podcast uh, you are doing as an offshoot of Back to the Bins. You and Mike are much bigger Superman fans than I am, which is not to say I'm not a fan, just that you seem to like a broader spectrum of stories than I do. Uh, but I'm always interested in listening to what you have to say about the character. Quite often, I learn something, which is nice considering how long I have been reading and collecting comics. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. That's, that's glowing praise, and I really appreciate it. Now, I would really like to know what types of Superman stories that you do like. Are you, are you confined to one era or one incarnation or one creator, one writer, something like that? Uh, write in and let me know. I'm, I'm just really curious about that. Uh, I like that your finished pro product is sparsely edited. I think it uh, works well with the stream of consciousness approach you're taking. Nothing wrong with a polished product with bells and whistles, but for solo podcasts, less is usually more. Finally, you have uh, probably gotten a dozen answers to your question about the secondary G78 numbering from Superman 232. <laughs> yes, I did. But I'll answer anyway, just in case you haven't. Basically, the G-numbering system identified a comic as part of the DC Giant series. Originally, the series appeared under its own title, 80-page Giant. But after 15 or so issues, DC decided to publish the Giants as part of their ongoing line of existing titles. Basically, the G-78 from Superman 232 means that in addition to being issue 232 of Superman, it is also the 78th comic published in the Giant series. Until next time... Stan. And thank you very much. You know, the last thing I need is another uh, collection to get, but I just might have to start seeking these out just as a, as a niche within a niche, you know, type of deal, because it would be kind of cool to, to be able to say, hey, I have all of the, uh, the G numbering system books or whatever. I probably already have a, a ton of them. I know I have a number of uh, 80 page giants. Plus, it depends on what titles they appeared on. I'm sure that you know, war and maybe even romance or something was probably part of that stuff. And frankly, just got no interest in that sort of thing. As far as the uh, the less is more um, thing, I, I mean, I, I'm pretty sure I came clean about this in the beginning. But if I didn't, uh, I'll, I'll just reiterate it here. It really comes down to time more than anything. 
time and I guess you could argue laziness, although I'd like to think it's not really laziness so much as it, it literally is time. I you know, I just don't have uh the wherewithal right now to to devote a whole lot of, you know, time to bells and whistles, but also I just don't want this to be that kind of a show. Now there are there have been points where I've listened back and and thought, "Oh god, you know, I wish I could edit that down or take out the ums or whatever," but Again, you know, it comes down to I just want you to be getting the real me, so to speak. So that's why the the last couple episodes, I don't think I made a single edit other than, you know, I slap on an opener, slap on a closer, you know, with the music and the intros and all that. And I've got to remember to throw in promos at, at the end or whatever. Other than that, I don't believe I made a single cut on any of those. So you're hearing me flubs and stutters and... <laughs> everything so i hope you like that sort of thing i don't know that i'm entirely comfortable with it but i feel like i'm getting more comfortable in front of the microphone if that makes any sort of sense at all anyway that is it for the uh emails this time around thank you so much to everyone who wrote in i really really appreciate it now, after all that talk about how I don't edit and I don't make cuts and all that, I am going to take a quick little break because, well, for two reasons. For one, I still have this damn frog in my throat, so I'm going to uh, take a break to get something to drink, and hopefully that'll ease that up. Also, again, in the interest of coming clean and being completely honest on this show, my computer's been acting kind of wonky lately, and I'm scared to death that I'm going to be right in the middle of one of these recordings, and the stupid thing's going to reboot on me. So I'm going to save this recording. I'm going to play you a promo or two, and I'll be right back with the main part of this episode, a chapter of the Superman's Return to Krypton story that I think you're going to dig. So I'll be right back, folks. Enjoy these promos. Gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero, Superman. Superman. The Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring The Thrilling Adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, The Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, Superman Forever Radio, The Superman Vidcast, The World's Best Podcast, The SFR Daily Planet, and Radio KL from supermanhomepage.com, as well as the audio dramas Superman, Last Son of Krypton, and Supergirl, Last Daughter of Krypton, from Pendant Audio Production. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, J. David Weeder, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co-host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Hey everyone, my name is Michael Bailey, and recently I was overcome by the urge to read my Batman comics again while separately wanting to do another solo podcast. I decided that these were two great tastes that would taste great together, and thus was born Bailey's Batman Podcast. Bailey's Batman Podcast is a weekly program that looks at a month in the life of the Dark Knight Detective, starting with the books bearing a March 1983 cover date, which coincidentally is where my solid run of the characters' comics begins, and moving forward until... well, until at least the books that came out in 2005, because that's where the solid run ends. Each week, I will give you a full synopsis and review of every major ongoing Batman title, with brief stops along the way to look at the important specials, miniseries, one-shots, and Elseworlds stories, just to keep things interesting. I'll also be telling you what other books Batman appeared in that month, as well as what was going on elsewhere in the DC Universe. It is going to be all Batman, all the time, as I look at over 20 years of the character's history. The first appearance of Jason Todd. Death in the Family. Nightfall. No Man's Land. All of that and more will be covered 
on Bailey's Batman Podcast. Every Tuesday at Bailey's Batman Podcast.com. Batman created by Bob Kane and Mick Jagger. And welcome back. I hope you enjoyed those promos. I don't know what they were yet, but I'm sure they were awesome. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it occurs to me that I listen to a good number of podcasts. Not all of them have promos. Despite my repeatedly requesting promos from some of my favorite ones, they just haven't gotten off their duffs and, and made actual promos yet. So I don't have promos for all the ones that I like. So I want to shout out just a couple real quick that I think you should be checking out. First up is the Geek New Wave podcast. Now that has uh, several hosts on it, but the main host on that is an actual friend of mine, Nick Maddox. He, uh, along with being a podcaster, is also a fellow monorail pilot at the Walt Disney World Resort. And it's a really good show. It's uh, very, very different from anything that we do on Two True Freaks in the fact that they are very hip and new and up to the minute. Uh, it's it's very topical, that show. And, uh, wow, I, you know, <laughs> it's, it's everything I would be scared to death to try to do in podcasting because they are so up to the minute on everything. It, it, I'm sure it requires a, a ton of research and that sort of thing. So, yeah, nothing I would be comfortable tackling, but they do a great job. And I really enjoy it because I learn a lot when I listen to that show as far as what's going on in the world of geekdom right now as we speak. So I enjoy that. I highly recommend that show. Uh, let's see a couple others. Um, let's see what else we got here. We've got uh, Quiet Panelologists at Work, which uh, they're back after a long hiatus. I really have always enjoyed that show. Very, very funny. And uh, a nice look at comics from a British perspective. I enjoy that show very much. Um, the Hat Decides podcast, which is uh, sporadically uh, published, but it's, it's just laugh out loud funny. Uh, let's see, um, last ones I want to plug for today, just, uh, they're not really comic book related, but again, two shows that uh, I enjoy very much is the Inside the Magic podcast, which is uh, all about Walt Disney World, uh, news, reviews, that sort of thing, and also, uh, the, uh, WDW Today podcast, which, uh, is nice, short, almost daily podcast, they put out three or four episodes a week, and uh, it's all panel discussions. The episodes usually run about 20 minutes, and it's just fun. The, the subject changes every single day, and it's it's always something new and interesting. And, again, something that uh, I always learn something from. So check out those podcasts and uh, tell them that Scott Gardner or Two True Freaks or Back to the Bins or whatever, let them know that I'm the one that plugged them and, and sent you over there to check those shows out. I'm sure that they would appreciate that. So now, for this time around, we are going to be looking at the second chapter of Superman's Return to Krypton. I'm looking at this from a uh, rather weathered copy of Superman number 232 from December slash January 1970 slash 1971. This story was originally published in Superman number 141 from November 1960, so it is reprinted in this issue. But this is what I have it from, and that's what we're going to be going from. We're looking at the second chapter of the story. The, the titles back in these days, or excuse me, the chapters back in these days were actually titled right along with the main story. We are looking at Superman's Kryptonian Romance. And uh, I really, you know, I, I love this overall story, but I really like this particular chapter. I think you're going to enjoy it. And uh, it starts off with, uh, it's not a title page per se, but the top half of, uh, actually a little more than the top half of the page is kind of the title for this chapter. And it shows Superman with his, uh, he's holding on to Lila Laral as they're posed in front of the Jewel Mountains of Krypton. And she's saying, don't look so sad, darling. We're young, we're in love. And we have a long, beautiful lifetime together ahead of us. And he's thinking to himself, Lila doesn't know that both of us in this whole world are choke, hopelessly doomed. Poor sad Superman. And the title of this one, of course, as I said, is Part 2, Superman's Kryptonian Romance. And the title box says, Stranded on Krypton in the past, before it exploded, Superman has vowed to somehow escape before this planet perishes. 
Because of this, he has determined not to fall in love with glamorous Lila Laral. But when it comes to love, the human heart does not listen to rhyme or reason. Thus, despite his resolve, Superman surrenders to the greatest romance he has ever known. Then suddenly, hope flames that his loved ones can be saved from the doom that threatens the entire planet. <laughs> love, love the buildup for this story. It's awesome. So we find Superman, and he's uh, working in Jor-El's lab. He's now Jor-El's uh, scientist assistant. You'll remember he he got the job last chapter, and uh, he just can't keep his mind on what he's doing. Now, what's really cool is in the background, Jor-El's got his sleeves all rolled up. You know, he's he's a working man. <laughs> just get a kick out of this. And uh, the the caption box says, stubbornly, Superman attempts to forget Lila. And in the background, Jor-El is standing over uh, Kal-El's shoulder. And he says, slow down, Kal-El. No need to work at such a frantic pace. And Superman, he's got his, his head in his hand. And he's holding what looks almost like a hypodermic needle in the other hand. There's a little model rocket off to the side. And he's got a thought bubble. And he's got like an image bubble of Lila's face. And he says, it's useless. I can't drive that girl out of my mind. Similarly, Lila strives to forget him as she exhausts herself with one public appearance after another. And she's actually running from suitors. And there's one guy with flowers and another guy with a with a box of some kind, probably a box of candy or chocolates or something. And she's thinking of Superman. She has a thought bubble. And again, she has an image bubble too. And it's the classic Wayne Boring you know, arms akimbo Superman standing there. It's really nicely drawn. And she has a tear running down her, her eye as she's fleeing from these suitors. And she says, I must be mad. I keep turning down the wealthiest, most powerful men on this planet because I can't forget a certain handsome young scientist in an absurd, quote unquote, space costume. You'll remember that Superman's uh, uniform is being mistaken for uh, a space costume from... Uh, the space, the science fiction movie that uh, that he's actually part of now. He kind of stumbled into that in the first chapter. So several days later, as Superman once again visits the home of his parents, and it's awesome. They're sitting around watching television and the Jor-El house. It's, it's just, I don't know why I get such a kick out of that, but I really do. They're, that's literally what they're doing. They're just hanging out watching television. And... Uh, Jor-El's off in one corner looking like he's kind of lounging in, almost in a recliner. And uh, Lara is sat right next to Superman. Superman's dead center right in front of the TV. And Jor-El is scolding her. He says, Lara, you're staring at our guests. And she says, I can't explain it, but I have the strangest feeling whenever I see Kal-El. And the caption box says, it keeps all of Superman's self-control to keep from blurting out the truth. And he's thinking to himself... I know what it is, Mother. Your intuition senses that I'm your son. Now, I don't want to dirty this up, but is it possible that maybe she kind of has the hots for him? Is there kind of a Marty McFly thing going on here? It's possible. The way she's looking at him in that panel, by the way, she is, I got to be honest, she's damn sexy in this in the second panel on page 14 here. She just looks really, really attractive. I, I like the way she's drawn. But she is definitely looking at him in kind of that, hmm kind of way <laughs> it's kind of cool but like i say i don't want to i don't want to dirty this up the next panel is superman he looks really sad his eyebrows are all kind of you know drooping he just has sad face and he's thinking to himself you love me so devotedly and unselfishly you could have saved yourself and flown to earth but you chose death so that i could live the model spaceship built uh dad built could only hold one passenger now I think this has changed over the years. I think it has flip-flopped from time to time. I don't know. I've definitely read different versions where she could have gone with him. Or, you know, as he says here, it only could hold one person and they chose to put the baby in it. So I guess that's a bit of an explanation for what I was talking about earlier. But again, we, we saw in that very first origin story that I covered that Jor-El said, you know, get into the rocket, Lara. And she's like, no, no, I'm going to stay behind with you. So, I don't know. I could say it, it flip-flops from time to time. But that does make it actually... Uh, a, a nice little explanation. Maybe that was an attempt on this uh, writer's part to explain why. I, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe he felt like it needed to be addressed. Don't know. Anyway, 
Continuing on with this, the next caption box says, but instead of voicing the tender thoughts in his heart, Superman speaks of his work. And we see Superman again, arms akimbo. He's standing here. He says, the unusual missiles we are developing at the base are exciting. <laughs> but what he really wants to say, and this is what he's thinking to himself, mother, dad, if only I was free to tell you how much I love you, choke. And <laughs> they're not even really paying attention. She's watching TV. And Jor-El's fiddling with the knobs on the front of the televisions. <laughs> it's kind of it's funny. Unexpectedly, we see Lila Laral walk in, and she says, Lara, when you invited me to drop by, you said nothing about another guest. And she's uh, playing coy. She says, I forgot to mention it. And Kal-El, he's not fooled by this. He says, Mother must be trying to play Cupid. Apparently, she's determined to bring Lila and me together. So presently... The two couples visit unusual places of interest, such as the Mind Art Center. And they're watching these these guys that are wearing these, like, spaceman bubble helmet things. And they're mind-controlling these giant machines that look like giant, almost like death rays or something. And they're blasting lasers or some sort of something at these uh, easels with canvases on them. And Superman says, I never cease marveling how these artists create art uh, masterpieces by merely envisioning them in their minds. Well, actually, it's it's either Superman or Jor-El that's saying this. It's hard to tell by where the placement of the word bubble is. He says the mental ray freezes the artist's mental pictures on canvas. Superman and Lila, they're not even paying any attention to what's going on. Superman's looking at Lila again, and he's thinking, none of these masterpieces compare with Lila's loveliness but I won't allow myself to fall in love with her. So next, they're at the Kryptonian Zoo, and Lila's thinking to herself, kyle has hardly spoken to me uh, at all. Why does he avoid me so? And they're looking in this cave. <laughs> the animals are awesome in this, because for the most part, they're just sort of like mashups and mix-ups of existing Earth animals. And this one they're looking at, he kind of looks like a cross between a bull and a rhinoceros, and he's pink. He's got a muzzle on him. And Superman says, This must be the fire-breathing creature the movie company plans uh, to borrow for the film I'm working on. Jor-El told me this creature breathes super-powerful flames when angered. However, its muzzle nullifies the flames. Now remember this creature, it's going to come in important later in the story. There's also this really cool giraffe-looking thing with like like antennas in the background. <laughs> He's kind of cool. Suddenly, there's a creature on the loose and it's pretty much a horse with two lion heads. Yes, you heard me right. A horse, but with two lion heads. Craziest looking thing. This is the sort of thing that would give me nightmares when I was a kid. And Lila is screaming. She says, watch out, a beast has escaped. And Superman's thinking to himself, that rope. I have an idea. If I had my super strength back, I could handle him with one pinky. But now I must use my wits. And so quickly, fashioning a loop, Superman tosses a lasso at the creature's legs, then yanks back with Jor-El's help. <laughs> it's just hysterical to see Jor-El and Superman are playing like like cowboys, and they're lassoing this, this horse-lion thing. And Jor-El says, here come the zookeepers to take over. And Superman notices that Lila has fallen against a wall and knocked herself out. He says, she's unconscious so swiftly, Superman races to Lila's side, uh, and as she revives, uninjured, he says, Lila, and she's thinking to herself, he does care for me. His lips are coming closer. And the next panel, it's really sweet. It's so nice. It's Superman, and he's uh, totally pulling a Captain Kirk, and he's pulling Lila to him and planting one on her as Jarl and Lara are looking on approvingly in the background. And... Uh, it's it's nice. It's a really nice panel. I like it a lot. Now we flip the page. This was uh, as the story was originally published would have been page four of this chapter. This is page sixteen in this particular book. Regardless of what page number it is or whatever, this is I swear to God one of my all time favorite pages from any Superman comic ever. And I I hope you'll understand why after I read it to you. But it's just it's awesome. I really really like this first panel says 
In the days that follow, Superman and Lila discover the wonder of their love in strange Kryptonian settings, such as Rainbow Canyon. And it's just, it's beautifully drawn. It's this very, uh, very much like the Grand Canyon, but with some mountains and spacey things in the background. And this rainbow is literally spanning the canyon as Lila is kind of standing up on a precipice and Superman's holding her hand and he's, he's kind of, um, coming up to her it's kind of hard to describe but he's like uh he's got his leg propped it's like he's approaching her and he's just saying lila i never really lived until now which i think is a very interesting thing for superman to say you know to superman to admit that you know something was missing out of his life i I like that it's a very human thing for superman to say i think and she says nor i and the next panel is uh, the rainbow effect is now surrounding them, like concentric circles around them with all different colors as, as they're embracing each other and kissing. And he tells her, nothing matters but you. Next panel, again, is them kissing with uh, some moons in the background and a dark sky. And it just says, two pairs of lips meet and two hearts thrill as one. Wayne Boring's art here is just, it's awesome. You know, there's not anything terribly dynamic going on but it's just, it's really, really nice. I really enjoy this art. And I like the dichotomy that's going on here because, you know, in the one panel, you've got them embracing and, and kissing each other. But the next panel is, uh, this is classic, like, movie stuff. And it shows, deep within the heart of Krypton, fiery forces clash and twist and churn, foreshadowing dreaded things to come. Last panel for this page is again Superman and Lila in an embrace as this swirl is happening around them and it just says, but the flames within the planet are like cold glaciers compared to the mighty love blazing between Superman of Earth and Lila Laral of Krypton. And that's it. That's that page. But I just, I don't know. There's something about this that that's very powerful to me. I really like this, that Superman's he's got the girl you know this is the the love of his life he's finally found her but as the the story tells us there's this foreboding in the background we know what's coming superman knows what's coming yet he can't stave it off any longer he's falling in love with this woman and there's something really powerful about that i like that i like it a lot so, we continue with the story. Together, the happy couple roam amidst such Kryptonian marvels as the Jewel Mountains, lost in the magic of each precious moment they share. And it's great. It's Superman holding Lila's hand. He's got his arm around her, and they're looking at the Jewel Mountains. And uh, as awesome as the art is in this, and it really is awesome. I love the art in this story. The Jewel Mountains in this particular instance are completely ridiculous looking. It looks like a giant pile of ice cream that somebody has just thrown a bunch of gems onto. Because, I mean, they're actual, like, carved gems. And it's it's pretty silly looking. But it's cool, too. It says, In the Hall of Worlds, which has replica scenes of strange planets in distant solar systems observed by Kryptonians with a super space telescope. Now, I imagine this place is, like, like holographic or something, you know, like, like they've gone to like the space museum type of thing. And Lila is saying, I'm glad that despite all the untold billions of worlds in the vast infinity of outer space, we too somehow found each other. Now I think that this is an odd thing for her to say, because it almost implies that, that she knows he's not from Krypton, which, you know, of course he originally is, but you know, he came to this, this story from, you know, Earth of the Future type of thing. She doesn't know any of that. So I think that's just a very strange thing to say, that rather than saying, you know, of all of the untold billions of people on Krypton, we found each other. Instead, she says, of the untold billions of worlds. It's just kind of an odd thing for her to say, I think. Anyway, Superman says, the universe would have been created without meaning for me if I had never met you, my darling. But then, as two hearts beat as one, suddenly, horribly, the very ground beneath them shudders and quakes, as though fate is infuriated at these two rash mortals who dare to love in defiance of its immutable laws. And we see the uh, the Hall of Worlds kind of busting up behind them. And she's saying, what's happening? She says, don't be frightened, Lila. It's only a mild quake. It'll pass. And as the quake does indeed pass, 
she asks him, she says, why, uh, she says, you look so tormented. What torments you, or I'm sorry, she says, "What you look so sad, rather. What torments you, my love? Tell me, let me help you. But he doesn't. He keeps his thoughts to himself, and he's thinking, how can you tell the woman who means more to you than life itself that your love is haunted by the terrible specter of death? So she starts kissing him. And it's, I like this panel a lot because it's him standing there. He's got his arms around her. He's clearly distracted, not looking at her. He looks very sad, and she's embracing him, and she's kissing him on the cheek. And she says, my kisses will drive away whatever worries him. Uh, nothing can be so awful that a love like ours can't conquer it. But he's thinking to himself, how terrible that I, whose awesome powers were once so great, am now helpless to save those I love. I like this. I like this so much. So the next day at the missile base, Superman finds Jor-El, and Jor-El is clearly distraught. And he says, what is it, Jor-El? And Jor-El, holding his, his hand to his head, he just says, if I don't confide my theory to someone, I'll go insane. Kal-El, Krypton is going to be blown apart by internal stresses. And Superman, I love this sort of thing from the Silver Age of comics, where the most ridiculous thing could be said, and you know it's usually Superman that would do it. He would say, "Well, I've got to feign ignorance, or my secret will be." And it's like, who would even put anything together in this instance? Why are you thinking this way? But of course, that's exactly what Superman's thinking. He says, "I must pretend amazement to protect my secret." What secret? What that you're from Earth of the future? I mean. <laughs> Why in the hell would Jor-El jump to that conclusion in the first place? But it's funny, and I, I like it. So instead of saying you know anything like, well, yeah, I know that, he says, you're certain? And Jor-El, and Jor-El, by the way, in this, is wearing a very different shirt than he usually wears. He almost, it almost looks like a like an Errol Flynn Robin Hood shirt. It's really funny. It says, practically positive, but it will take time to prove my theory, Kal-El. There's only one hope for Krypton's billions of inhabitants. Slowly, Jor-El focuses a super-powerful telescope on distant Earth. And Jor-El says, Spaceships! A fleet of ships must be built that will take all of us to Earth, a world in another solar system, which can support life such as ours. It's inhabited. This city is New York. And then he's pointing kind of around, like, Michigan area. And he says, And this is Metropolis. I find that very interesting. Superman points to pretty much the American Midwest and says, what is the name of this small town? And he thinks to himself, as if I didn't know. Jor-El says, Smallville. There's a nice young couple I've been observing there for some time, Jonathan Kent and Martha Clark. Now, this is a globe that Superman is pointing to. How freaking big is Smallville that Superman can point to a globe and say, what small town is this? And Jor-El knows, without having to do any sort of magnification or zooming in or anything, he knows exactly where Superman's pointing to. Smallville's got to be pretty freaking huge. So anyway, solemnly, Jor-El focuses the super-powerful telescopic viewer equipped with a language translator device on Earth. And we zoom right into, I don't know what this is supposed to be. I guess it's like the local hoedown or something. And it shows young, kind of dweeby-looking Jonathan Kent. And he's he's all sad and moony because Martha Clark is actually dancing with someone else. And Jor-El says, Jonathan is a quiet-spoken young farmer who loves the girl he's courting. But he's getting severe competition from Greg Halliday. A handsome, smooth banker who recently arrived in Smallville. And Superman thinks to himself, Gasp, my father is observing Jonathan and Martha, who will become my foster parents when I, er, am flown to Earth as a baby. Yeah. And it's damn creepy, Superman! You know, it's one thing to be observing the Earth and, and you know, studying you know, the, the movements and behaviors of the inhabitants or something, you know, to see if it's, you know, is it got a suitable atmosphere? You know, what are the, what is the civilization like? You know, what is the technological level? That's one thing. But I mean, clearly Jor-El has been watching these two for some time and in some in-depth fashion, if he knows their names and what's going on with this situation, it's just a little damn creepy, I think. 
that these aliens on another world can can observe us that closely you know and he obviously he's able to zoom right inside the building that they're in so he can watch them pretty much doing anything i find that really creepy anyway <laughs> jorel says the pity of it is that the banker is really a swindler who has stolen bonds in a secret hiding or uh who has hidden, rather, stolen bonds in a secret hiding place inside that statue of himself. And we see a statue of Greg Halliday outside this bank. Now, why? I no idea. And Jorah says he plans to skip with his depositor's funds. So he turns off the viewer. He says, for the present, tell no one of Krypton's coming doom. Not until we can create a spaceship capable of flying to Earth, and Superman promises. And he's thinking to himself, so a no-good crook is trying to steal Martha away from Jonathan. I can't let him do that to my future foster parents. So the next day, as Superman learns the exact time when patrolling police are due to pass the Smallville Bank, up on Krypton, the uh, distant Kal-El takes careful aim. And he's got... This weird looking, it looks pretty much like a traditional rifle. I mean, it even looks like it has a wooden stock and everything. It's got a sight on it, but it's also got this weird like gyroscope thing on it. And he's taking careful aim out the window, I guess. But it's also aiming at Earth, which I, you got me on this one. And he's thinking to himself, this tiny explosive friction-proof needle missile can make a pinpoint landing anywhere. Its top-secret propulsive fuel, composed of rare elements, was given to Dad by the aged scientist Ken Dow. So, the next caption box says, Split-second timing enables the needle missile to strike just as the law arrives, but at the exact moment, a lightning bolt crashes downward and it shatters the statue. No, okay the the time and distance and everything involved in this just makes my head hurt this is one of these things in this particular story you just got to go with it and not think too much about it because it's it's pretty silly but anyway the statue is shattered whether by the needle missile or the uh lightning bolt we're not entirely sure and the police see all the stolen bonds come pouring out of the uh, the statue. <laughs> and there's also a photo that's hidden in there. And the, the lawman picks it up and says, <laughs> A wanted photo of Halliday was hidden among the bonds. He's really Snark McGill, confidence man. <laughs> I love that name, Snark McGill. I just might start using that alias myself. I like it. So, of course, Snark McGill takes off. And who's going to go run him down and bring him to justice? Jonathan Kent runs to his old jalopy and says, I'll take care of that rotten polecat. <laughs> so Snark McGill goes, grabs uh, Martha Clark, and she's going, No, I won't go off with you and get married. Let go of me. And says, Well, damn it, then you'll be a hostage. Jonathan Kent walks in and looking very, very, very much like Clark Kent, pops him right in the jaw, knocks him out. And Martha Clark is really, really impressed with this. Jonathan, land sakes, I never thought you could be so forceful. Oh, my. And, of course, he proposes right there on the spot. And uh, Superman's future is cemented. It's corny. It's cheesy. I like it. What can I say? Back up on Krypton, Superman has watched this whole thing. And he says, I forgot that fate can't be changed and that Jonathan and Martha would have married anyway. And I guess the law would have caught Snark anyway, too. Hmm. I'll never know whether it was the needle missile or that lightning bolt which really exposed Snark. So see, he thinks this in one panel, but then the very next panel, it says, suddenly, an inspiration is born. Superman completely changes his mind here. He says, who knows? Perhaps fate can be changed at that. I won't give up without a fight. I'll tell Jor-El my idea. Now, what made him change his mind? I, I would have liked this scene much better if somehow Superman realized that he had changed time, that he had actually, by his actions, had actually brought 
Jonathan and Martha together. I think that would work so much better in this story and so much better in this sequence because he literally goes one minute from going, oh, that's right, everything that, that happens is fated to happen. I can't change time to the very next panel going, oh, yeah, that, well, let me, let me try to see if I can change time. Huh? Makes no sense at all. And so he goes to Jor-El and we see Jor-El saying, you're right, Kendall's fuel, which propelled that needle missile, which means Superman told him he did this, Jor-El's okay with this? I guess so. He says, which propelled that needle missile could send a space arc to Earth. I'm sure he'd give us a limited supply of the fuel he has available, but building the arc would take years. Superman's thinking to him, or no, I'm sorry, it's not a thought balloon, it's a word balloon. He says, not if you give me certain materials and 50 of your best engineers to help me build a super robot. And so shortly... Superman's memory enables him to direct the construction of a giant robot, which can duplicate many of his former powers. And this robot's awesome looking. It's a classic giant clunky robot, very much like uh, you would see in uh, that old Superman Fleischer cartoon, uh, The Mechanical Monsters, except he has like a a clear dome head where you can see the gears and things inside of his head. It's, It's pretty cool looking. I like this guy. And they named him, wait for it, Robo. Very original name for a robot. Robo, Superman says, can lift great weights, has x-ray vision. Now, what the hell does a robot need x-ray vision for? But again, I'll go along with the gag. Has x-ray vision and can move at super speed. Well, that's important. And Jor-El says, wonderful. Since he too is made of rare materials, only one Robo could ever be built on Krypton. And I'm thinking that the tab for this project is starting to skyrocket. Just how much money does Jor-El have anyway? Never addressed in this story. And I want to, once again, I think we're not really supposed to think about that too much. Soon the colossal arc begins to take shape in the city where Kal-El lives. And we see this dude, uh, oh, this is Kendall. He says, the vital element in the fuel I invented is so rare on Krypton, there will only be enough fuel to take the Ark safely to Earth. And uh, Jor-El says to him, however, Kendall, if Earth has the rare element, the Ark can make many such trips back and forth to Krypton before our world explodes. Um, maybe. It's a long shot. So, Robo's titanic efforts enable the space arc to quickly uh, to be quickly completed, and Jor-El announces the project to all Krypton. This is important. Once again, we're seeing one of these images of the people, you know, of the city milling about when there's this, I don't know if it's a giant TV, I don't know if it's a projection, whatever. There's this giant image of Jor-El speaking to the populace of Krypton, and he says... All who wish to escape our doom world and fly to Earth are invited to enter the Ark. And one dude's saying, Jor-El has been frightened by a few quakes. And another guy says, I believe Jor-El. Now, I'm going to stop right there. It pains me to do this because I truly love this story. This is one of the parts of the story you just can't gloss over because this really flies right in the face of even the... As loose as continuity was in these days, there is a continuity that you can't deny. I mean, Superman himself has given us a bit of that, you know, with with the Kents and things like that. Um, what happens to that scene of Jor-El storming into the council chamber and, you know, slamming his hand down on the desk and going, Gentlemen, Krypton is doomed. That's quite a while. Past, it's at least a year past this. Because Kal-El hasn't even been born yet. And Kal-El, depending on the era and depending on which version of the origin tale, you know, he was either an infant or he was about a year or two old, something like that. Say he was an infant. That's still, say say Lara's even pregnant at this point. That's still nine months. You know, if the gestation period of a Kryptonian is the same as a human being's. Nine months in the future, it completely changes everything with the origin story of, of Superman. It, it's just one of those things I gotta let go in this, but I, I just felt the need to point it out that this isn't 
Jor-El going to the, the council and being disbelieved, I mean, he's telling everybody on TV or whatever <laughs> that their world is doomed. And as we see in the very next panel, it says, Later, as Superman, his parents, and Lila fly toward the city where the space arc is located, Superman, or again, it could be Jor-El in the backseat, one of the two of them is saying, Thousands, thousands are pouring into the ark animals as well as humans people believe jor-el we saw that with the guy that said i believe jor-el not the origin story of superman nobody believed jor-el they basically laughed him out of the hall of science again pretty different however like i say and i keep saying this i love this story it, it almost pains me to point these things out it's just one of those things in this particular story i gotta let it go and not focus too much on it or it threatens to kind of ruin the story superman is thinking to himself as they're they're driving this this very star wars episode two looking sky skimmer thing by the way some of the animals that are being loaded into the ark look like dinosaurs i like that it's cool they're gonna save their rontos from krypton i think that's pretty cool superman's thinking to himself wonderful i'm going to beat fate after all the lives of those i love will be saved but fate sucks suddenly as a ray stabs down from the heavens, and we see Kal-El just, just in time. He swerves out of the way of this giant ray that's beaming down from wherever. And he says, gasp, the city vanished. What can, uh, oh, actually, I don't know who this could be speaking, because it says, what can, what can have happened, Kal-El? So this must be Jor-El that was speaking. Anyway, Superman's thinking to himself, I know but I can't reveal my knowledge. I should have guessed it with when Kendall insisted the rocket be built inside his city. Candor. Yeah, you kind of screwed up, Superman. Inside Brainiac's flying saucer in outer space, and we see Brainiac, and he's just calmly sitting there, and his, his head's in his hand, and he's, he's looking at the bottle sitting, and he says, Ha ha! The hyperforces I released reduced the entire city of Kandor to miniature size and transported it inside this bottle. I'll study the various cities I've stolen from different planets so I can plan a conquest of the universe! And his little freaky-looking monkey dude, Coco, I think his name is, is looking on while Brainiac... So I guess Brainiac's actually talking to the monkey. I don't know. It's kind of silly. Not a big Brainiac fan. However, I like this element of the story, except it makes Superman look really, really stupid. It's like, you, you knew this was coming, dude. You know? You, you should have had it marked on a calendar or something. You know, you should have had a memo to yourself on the refrigerator. Do not build rocket ship in Candor. You know, something. So meanwhile, on Krypton, Superman is bumming. Says, what ghastly irony. The space arc, together with the entire city of Kandor, was stolen by the space villain Brainiac minutes before we could escape from Krypton in the arc. The bottled city of Kandor is fated to end up in my fortress of solitude on Earth. Last panel for this chapter has Superman looking incredibly sad, just completely hopeless. He's thinking to himself, since Kendall and Robo were both in the vanished rocket, and Kendall never revealed the secret of his rare fuel to anyone else, another arc can't be built in time. Choke. We're all doomed. Unfortunately, Superman's desperate attempt to foil fate and rescue the Kryptonians has failed. See part three for the amazing, unforgettable ending. And that will be the surprise of fate. And we're going to be covering that one next time around on I've Got a Few Things to Say About Superman. I hope you're digging this, uh, this story in particular. I hope you like the show. One way or the other, whether you do, whether you don't, I want to hear about it. So please... Get in touch with me, and you can get in touch with me in a number of ways. You can send an email to the show, backtothebins at gmail.com. There are any number of ways to get a hold of me. I'm all over the Facebook, um, that sort of thing. So please get in touch with me. I really, 
really, really want to know what you guys are thinking about the show. So that's it for this time around. Be sure to visit our website at www.twotruefreaks.libson.com for more exciting podcasts featuring me, Chris Honeywell, Michael Bailey, Hope Mullinex, as well as several other sad, apathetic human beings who've nothing better to do with their time. Join our forum if you have not already at for uh, excuse me www.forumforgeeks.com where you can comment on this episode or any of our episodes. You can interact with me, Chris, Mike, and Hope, and everybody else, your fellow listeners. We have a great, fun, friendly community there, and we want you to be a part of it. We really, really do. Again, you can reach us at uh, backtothebins at gmail.com to send us feedback or comments or criticisms or whatever about this show. And of course, Chris, Mike, Hope, and I, we're all over the Facebook. Speaking of Facebook, if you like this show or just as you listen to the show, please, 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 please give us some sort of shout out on the social networking site of your choice, whether it be Facebook, Twitter, whatever, while you're listening, just to let other people know that you are listening to the show. We really appreciate that because I still believe that word of mouth is still the best way to let other people know about, well, most anything really, but our shows in particular. Again, we appreciate it. We appreciate you helping us grow our listenership. That's it, folks. Thank you very much for downloading and listening to this episode. Please tell a friend. And uh, join us again next time for I've Got a Few Things to Say About Superman. Bye now. Bye now.